Well, just thanks for coming tonight. I'm going to uh, try to introduce and help you understand a little bit more what Pastor Abraham does in India. Uh, we've been friends for probably 30 years. Yes, sir. Been to India, tremendous ministry. And you know, the last few weeks, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and faith and, you know, how between the Holy Spirit and really our relationship with God causes us to become who God intends us to be. And uh, I just want to read one verse as we begin tonight. You know, this is kind of, you know our church, we're evangelistic. We sponsor missionaries all the world. We've, we've sponsored Abraham in India for many, many years, and you'll hear what all he's doing. You know, in, in Romans, Paul talks about this. He says, but how can they call on him unless they believe. And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him unless somebody tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is what the scripture means when it says, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring good news. You must have beautiful feet. Yes. Sir. yes. So the first question I would uh, ask him is to help him explain a little bit of like the culture, the government, the beliefs. I mean, they've been pan through the pandemic and the opposition has been incredible. I still remember the time when the Lord called me for the ministry. I was just 21 years old. And the Lord said to me, I want you to evangelize the nation of India. I said, what's the big deal? Come on, let's do it. And I did not realize the complex nature of my country when the Lord spoke to me. And I started to do a little bit of study. Then I realized it's not that easy as I thought. Because uh, number one, the enormous number of people. I'm talking about in 1974. We are talking about 620 million people at that time. And today we've got more than 1.3 billion people. So not only that, he's asking about the culture, the nature of my country, that's what I'm saying. And India speaks about 22 major languages. And the Indian people worship about 330 million gods. So here we are. So people from every state is like a different country. And uh, it's a very old nation. India is one of the oldest countries. And all these different religious groups and their beliefs and their opposition and their hatred for Christianity. So this is the background of our nation. So that is our culture. They believe that Christianity is a foreign religion. So we don't want that religion in our country. So at present, we have got a very strong anti-Christian government, an anti-Christian prime minister, and they are trying their level best. They want to wipe out Christianity from India. And if you anything know anything about history, any country, anyone who wanted to do that, they were never able to achieve that goal. Whenever they tried, 
and Christianity has only grown. It has not died yet. So we believe that the Lord's hand is upon us. And on the top of all this, we had the pandemic, COVID. I've never been to America for the last uh, three years because we were shut down. The whole country was shut down. And COVID is not gone yet. We are still getting about 10,000 cases every day, even today in India. So through COVID, about 5 million people died in the last two years. And my sad thing is, I lost about 35 of my own pastors in the last year. I was attacked by COVID. They thought that I won't make it. I was in the hospital for 15 days. But in spite of all that, maybe God gave me a lease of life so that I can come and talk with Pastor Merle and, and talk with you today. So, you know, so many challenges. But we are still there, Pastor Merle. We're continuing the work of God. I believe God's hand is upon us, and He will continue to help us. You know, I think we all know how much God loves each one of us and how important our relationship with God is. Without our relationship with God, there's no purpose. We're lost. There's no fulfillment. And I just want you to explain. Uh, I, was, I was there, and I, I was so touched. The, the heaviness, the altars, the incense, the confusion, the sense of being lost is so great. I don't know if we can imagine growing up in a Hindu nation where there is just every imaginable deception and oppression you can imagine. Well, as I said earlier, you know, like you go through 330 million gods. Can you think about that? Every, you name anything, there's a god to somebody in India. So many temples, so many idols everywhere. People worship anything and everything. A monkey is a god to somebody, cow is a god to somebody else, a rat is a god to somebody else. They believe in re reincarnation so that you don't kill anything. That could be your uncle, you know, from the last generation or maybe the next one. The, the demonic attack in that nation is so strong. And in the middle of that, we are bringing the light, the ray of hope of Jesus Christ. So because we are such a small minority and we are trying our best to reach the lost. And we believe that Jesus Christ is the only hope. And we will not stop. You know, people died. You know, people were killed, martyred. Pastors, Christians, villages were burned down because they were Christians. And there's every reason for you to run from your cause. Every reason for you to stop doing what you're doing because the challenge is so great. But God has been so good to us because we believe that the Lord's hand is upon us and the Lord will continue to bless us. Amen? I was telling Pastor Mel the couple of days, I said, can you imagine you lose 35 pastors in one month? They were not sick. There was no problem for them. One fine morning, they're dead because of COVID. You know, that left about 35 widows and their children just like that in one month. My wife, Joyce, you know, was, she was, God spoke to her about eight years ago that she should start a widow's fund. She didn't know what she was going to do. I asked her, what do you want to do that? She said, I believe 
that we should take care of the widows, the wives of the pastors who will have untimely death, who will be killed, you know, who will be gone. And who is going to take care of their wives and children? So I said, well, that's a great idea. Do it. So she continued. Ever since she started this fund, she called it Naomi's fund because Naomi was a widow. He calls coming from all over the country saying, my husband died and our pastor died over there. We need help. And suddenly, of course, last year, one month, 35 more widows and families over there. What do you do? We are trying to take care of these families who lost their husbands, their fathers, you know, because of COVID and other reasons. Some of them have been dying, have been killed for being a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things I'm sharing and challenging people at this time is if the Lord speaks to you, you can become a sponsor of one of those widows in India who became a widow for no reason became a widow, her husband was only 35, 40 years old, just dead. And who is going to take care of them and their two, three, four children? So we're looking for people who can sponsor a, a widow with $50 a month. That can change the life of those people. You know, I hope tonight we realize the blessings, the goodness of God and, and how amazing God has been to us. And I hope that it gives us a little bit of a, a passion for others. You know, he says, you know, the, the people just died. Well, it's hard to comprehend, but you have to understand the extreme poverty that they're in. They have no money. They have nowhere to go. They're fortunate if they can eat. So there, there's no hospital to go to for most of them. And to begin with, their immune system already is low because they haven't had good food to eat and good care. You, Abraham said they couldn't even get oxygen, right? People who are dying on the road, gasping for breath. You know, don't expect there's no oxygen around you. People who are gasping, they said, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And there's no oxygen in the hospitals. So where do you go? You go to the hospital, there's no oxygen for you. People are dying on the corridors of hospitals. People are dying on this little rickshaw, the, you know, little, little taxis being taken to the hospital. They're dead along the way. Just stories that unbelievable. People are dead everywhere. Mass grave, you talk about Ukraine war. We're talking about cremating like hundreds of dead bodies in one big hole because we couldn't take them anywhere. We couldn't cremate them properly. And the people who wanted to bury, you would not believe that on the main streets, the dead bodies are all lined up waiting to be buried. And there's no, not enough graves, so they're all having body bags and they will throw three, four dead bodies in one hole because there's not enough place to bury them. You know, we have never seen it. We, 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 we are in a different world, my dear friends. It's not the same world that we knew three years ago. We never thought that man will be gasping for oxygen, that we have taken it for granted. You know, people dying, not once or two, thousands of them. They died only because of the lack of oxygen. You know, their oxygen level went from 98 to 25. What do you do? 
You're dead. That is the condition that we went through in the last two, three years. And uh, still, people are still struggling. So many challenges there. And what can you do? A government with 1.3 billion people. Some of them don't even care. Well, you die, you die. Kind of a population control kind of a thing. That's what we went through. Even now we're going through, Pastor Merle. I pray that the Lord will open up that only God is the answer. We know that, but we understand that more and more these days that Jesus Christ is the only answer. And no man, no government, no power can help any one of us. That's what we have found. Yeah, and God has done tremendous miracles there, tremendous miracles. So I just asked uh, Abraham to explain his organization, his churches, and how your organization works and how you've been to, able to accomplish all this. There's tremendous fruit. There's tremendous miracles and salvations. You know, I said earlier, I, uh, the Lord called me for the ministry when I was 21 years old. And I've been in the ministry for the last 48 years. That's quite a long time, right? I look like ancient. And uh, so that's what we did. And as I said, the Lord was saying, go and evangelize the nation of India. You know, I was living on the streets. Didn't have any money, didn't have a place to stay, didn't know what to do, except for the fact the Lord called me for the ministry. And he's telling me, go and evangelize the nation of India. Just 620 million people, boy. That's what the Lord was saying. And, uh, but I was faithful to my call. I started off with street meetings. I didn't, I was not a preacher. I did not know how to, how to explain everything to the people. By, but I believed in God's miraculous power. So I'll always tell the people, if anybody needs healing, Deliverance, here's the place, come on. And I'm standing on the side of the road. You know, there's a little area, people come and watching me, what this guy is doing. So they come. So I pray for them. It's so funny, I still remember, when you are calling people for prayer, for healing, you are not conducting a, an organized crusade where all the different kinds of sickness and disease come and you pray for them. But you expect, you know, somebody with a toothache, uh, you know, somebody with a headache or something will come and you lay hands and pray for them. So I said, if there is anybody who wants prayer, come along. And would you believe the first one they brought holding on to his hand? Suddenly I realized the first one I was going to pray for was a blind man. I was not geared up for that. I was only geared up for a toothache deal. And they brought him and they said, well, you just said you're God because these people are not Christians. So you cannot tell them how to, you, you have to have faith, you have to believe God, and your faith is not working properly. Then, no, they believed your words. They came because you called me. So you tell your God and heal this man. So I was shaking in my boots and I said, God, why did you bring this guy? You know, why couldn't you bring somebody who is having a little kind of sickness we can handle. But now I'm stuck, so I laid hands on him, onto his eyes. I must have squeezed it so hard. And I prayed, I commanded in the name of Jesus, 
Open the eyes. The guy opens his eyes and he says, I can see, I can see. I said, no, you cannot see. You're blind, you know. But God healed him. Amen. And God opened his eyes. That was my first miracle, my dear friends. Well, you never look back after that, do you? If the blind eyes can open, you can pray. So I believed in miraculous things. That's 1974. And every meeting that I have, small or big crusades, now I do large crusades, tens of thousands of people. But I believe in miracles in every meeting. I call out to people with all confidence and courage and faith. They say, come, Jesus Christ is here to heal you. And that was the secret of the growth of our ministry. You know, because God was doing miraculous things. God touched people's lives. Healing and deliverance was the key. Because as you said yesterday, because the Bible says, God went with them, confirming his word with signs and wonders. Amen. That's what you read in the book of Acts. Signs and wonders is the confirmation of God's word. And we see that every time. And people got healed, got saved, baptized. The church was established. That's a good deal. I said, let's keep on doing it every place I go. So that's what I've been doing it, my dear friends, for the last 48 years of my life. Everywhere I went, God's presence was there, God's power was there, and people got saved, healed, and baptized. Churches were established, and I am Pastor Merle. I'm so happy to tell you today that we were able to start more than 4,500 churches right across the nation of India. Amen? Amen. Through a guy, I've never been to a Bible college in my life, but God was using me to reach out to the lost. Amen? I was telling my friends, you know, I could not do much because of COVID. The whole country was locked down. Everything was locked down. Shopping malls, schools, everything. So we could not do anything much. So in the last two years, I was only able to start 150 new churches. So that's all I could do. So sorry about that. When I come next time, I might be able to give you a better report of what we are doing. Amen? So we got about 4,650 churches. And uh, amen. And of course, we have got so many uh, Bible colleges, about 14 Bible colleges. We are training hundreds of young men to go into the ministry. We run 17 orphanages, taking care of hundreds of orphan children, feeding them, giving them a home, giving them education, giving them a better life. And more than that, we are giving them Jesus Christ to those people. Amen. And the work continues on, Pastor. You know, as you listen to this, you know there's one Lord there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one church. You know, and it's amazing, whether you're in India or here, when he saves you, you become part of the family of God. That makes us brothers, that makes us sisters. You know, and when you become a part of the family of God, he calls you his own children, he adopts you, and he gives you an inheritance. 
So I just want to encourage you, you know, as you pray, as you give, as you listen, the whole of us together have the same mission. We have the same vision. We have the same passion, and that is that God might be glorified. What's your vision? What's your uh, mission? Man, I, I, as I said, India is our goal. You know, they keep on having babies, you know, 1.3 billion people. We are trying to catch up with that. But we wanted to reach, there's 600,000 villages in India. And when Jesus said in, in Matthew 28, he said to his disciples, just before he went up to heaven, he said, I wanted to go into all the nations and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son of the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus meant nations was not the 217 nations in the world today. He was talking about specific people's groups, ethnic groups. They say there is about more than 15,000 ethnic groups in the world today. And in India, we have got about 4,635 people's groups, ethnic groups, almost 25% of the world's people's groups live in India. And out of that, in the last 2,000 years, only 1,200 ethnic groups have ever heard the name of Jesus Christ even once. That means more than 3,000 3, ethnic groups have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. I come from the southern part of India, where we have a good presence of Christianity because you might know that the doubting Thomas, by the time he landed in India, he was not doubting Thomas anymore. He was a man full of faith and power. And he came with the gospel to my country. So South India, where he came, there was a great move of God. People got saved and, and set free. So Christianity is very strong in the southern part of India. Of course, most of the churches today are, are just, you know, nominal churches like Catholics and all that, Orthodox churches. But still, they know who Jesus is. You see all the cross everywhere, all these church buildings all over the place. So the ratio in South India to a Christian, not, uh, not a born-again Christian, a nominal Christian, to non-Christian. The ratio in South India is 1 to 10. There's almost 10%. But the same ratio in North India is 1 to 22,000. That means you could be traveling for miles, hundreds of miles. You can never come across one man by name John. There's no Christianity there. And in 1980, God spoke to me to go to North India. That's where the need is. So I packed up my bags and I left. Well, I had to start everything all over because I don't speak the language. I hated their food. You know, you have to dress up differently. And the North Indian people don't like South Indians. But God sent me over there. I started traveling. I moved around from place to place praying in every city, saying, God, where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to stay? God won't speak to me. Finally, 
I came to New Delhi, which is the capital city of India, like Washington, D.C. I came there to catch my train to go back because I was disappointed because God was not telling me where I should be. And as I was staying that night to catch my train the next day, the Lord said to me, this is the place I want you to be. So I went back, came back again, rented a house, and that's where I started the ministry, in the city of New Delhi, a city of 22 million people, a concrete jungle, you know, houses everywhere, and of course, the government and the whole deal. So I started to learn the language, started to appreciate the food. You have to understand, I'm from South India, okay? And our staple diet is rice. That's what we eat in South India. And in North India, the staple diet is wheat. When you get sick in the South, my doctor will tell me, don't eat rice, but eat wheat for some time. So when you go to North India, then they, if you get sick, they'll say, don't eat wheat, eat rice. So I've been eating medicine for the last 40 years. You know? That's what wheat is all about. So that's how different it is. How do you adjust in a place? And of course, hostility. People don't believe what you got to share, and they hate you because you are a Christian. And in spite of all that, I moved on from city to city, from village to village. And today I want to share with you, friends, we have got churches in 22 states, India has got only 28 states, by the way. And we have got churches in 22 states of India. And I'm so pleased to tell you, my, you said, what is your vision? My vision is to reach the lost in my country. My vision is to reach every village that has never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not easy, my dear friends. It's not easy. But that's my vision. And I want to share with you today with heart full of gratitude to God. I'm so thankful to the Lord because today I was able to start not one or two, hundreds of churches in so many villages in my country where we are the only church in the last 2,000 years. Nobody, nobody ever went to that village. Nobody ever went to that area to preach the gospel. But God was gracious to us. God gave me the vision. And this is what I tell my pastors. I have a pastor's conference every year by October, November. My, all my thousands of pastors come. I, I challenge them. Don't be satisfied with your local church. Don't be satisfied with the money that you get. There is a world outside. There are villages surrounding you. You have got to reach them. And we should do everything possible so that India should be saved. Amen? Do you know the name of our organization? We call it Christ for India. That is not just the name of our organization. That's a motto. That is what we believe. We believe Christ for India and India for Christ. 
And that's my goal. And we will not stop until the lost soul in India will turn from the idol worship and turn towards the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our call. And that's what we'll be doing, Pastor Merle. Amen. You know, there's so much talk about the end times, but I'll give you one verse that is kind of what I believe the end times. It says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all nations before the end will come. That's what he's doing. That's what we're doing as a church. And that's what we all are, are part of, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the good news. You know, and it's amazing how God loves people. I was sharing with him last night as we were riding together, and then maybe you can close. A few weeks ago, I was reading in the book of John, and we've all read the book of John many times. It's in the middle of the 13th, 14th, 15th chapter, and Jesus is getting ready to go, and he says, greater works than you go, and I'm going to my Father. And he tells many, many things, and they act like they, they don't really understand. And he says to them, it would be better if I would go, because then I would send you the Holy Spirit, which we've been talking about the last few weeks. And what I saw in the middle of these chapters that really spoke to me, he says in the middle of the chapter, almost like time out, ask whatever you will, and my Father will do it for you. I'm reading the next chapter. He says the same thing. Ask whatever you may. My Father will do it for you. See, because he's trying to explain that's what he did. He prayed. It happened. He did miracles, and he, he was here to show who his father was. And in the next chapter, he says the same thing again. And I thought, wow. You know, we've all heard greater works you do than, than he's going to do, which is incredible. And then there's this one verse. He says, ask so that my father may be glorified. Amen. See, it changes everything when the motive of your prayer and the motive of your life is to glorify him. Amen. And that's what he was trying to tell these people. Ask, pray, believe God, and God wants to do it because it's a testimony to you. It's a testimony to your, your friends. It's a, it's, an, it's a building of your faith. So we, he says, he tells us to ask my Father whatever you will so that my Father is glorified because he wants to do it. So true. You know, God wants to be glorified in everything that we do. Everything. Just wanted to give you a thought as, we, as I finish. You know the story of Jesus meeting with this woman at the well in Samaria. We know the story. Jesus met with her. She said, you're asking for a drink. You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. Jews don't drink from us. Jesus says, if you would know who is talking to you, then you would have asked him to give you the living water. Amen. And she said, what kind of water is that? She said, you don't have the bucket, you don't have the rope, you, the well is deep. Where are you going to get this water? Jesus realizes she did not understand 
the water that I'm talking about. I just want to throw you a thought. I wanted to carry that with you tonight. Jesus says, not, not this well, you don't get that water from here. The water comes from me. And what is the goodness of this water? He says, if you will drink of this water, which is the water of that well, you will thirst again. Well, I don't want to go into all the, the implications and the, and this, you know, the depth of the meaning, you know, drinking of this water, the water of sin, water of pleasure, water of this world, we will thirst again. That's, but he said, but I have got a water to give you. That is, if you will drink of this living water, you will never thirst again. We know that. Jesus comes in our life, our life is transformed, and we will never thirst again. But one more thing that I want to share within that verse, you read that when you go home, read John chapter 4, read from verse 10 onwards. There he says, not only you will drink this water and you won't thirst again, and then he says, when you drink this water, out of inner male's being will flow a fountain. And that will flow out of you, and that will come towards giving eternal life to the people. And I believe that every one of you are a born-again Christian. I believe that you are somebody who drank the living water sometime in your life. But have you ever thought that when you drank the water, it satisfied you. Your sins were forgiven, your thirst have been quenched, you have been made satisfied in this world. That's great. But Jesus said, not only that, when you drink this water, and when it gets inside of you, then it becomes a fountain. And it starts coming out of you. What's that for? It comes out of you, and that will bring eternal life to the people. Two things should happen when you drink the living water from Jesus. One, our life should be changed. You remember another portion, Jesus was standing in the temple. That was the last day of the festival. He cried out with a loud voice and he said, Everyone who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. When you do that, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Amen? Amen. So this is what I want to share with you as I finish. Every one of us have got two things to do. One, of course, we have drunk the living water. We are satisfied. Never thirst again. But Jesus says one more thing. That is... Out of your belly, out of your innermost being, should flow the fountain. That should bring eternal life into other people's lives. Amen? What he's saying is, you and I cannot be selfish. When you drink the living water, we are selfish. We're going to heaven. Praise the Lord. My sins are forgiven. I've been made a child of God. Jesus lives in my heart. Wonderful. He said, that's not the end of the story. He says, out of the renamous being shall flow rivers of living water. That this fountain will lead people to life, eternal life. I look at the story. 
I look at this, this woman came, you know, this woman was not that popular in, this, in the village, living with five men and all that jazz, right? But she found the Messiah, and she's going back now. So she left her water pot. She has walked about two, three miles to get the pot of water for drinking for that day, then she has to come back the next day, and she's leaving that water pot and running towards, and I want to talk to her, hey, lady, stop for a minute, what about the water pot? And she says to me, hey, I don't want that. I drank some other water, and I'm going with a purpose. And you know what she did? She went into the village, went to the village square, stood there, and she said, come, everybody. I got a message for you. What is the message? I found a man who has said everything that I've ever done in my life, and I think he's the Messiah. Would you like to meet him? And the Bible says, based on her words, the whole village came running to see Jesus. That is Christianity. Amen. That is what you are supposed to be. That you bring out that fountain that you have got inside by drinking the living water. And that should start flowing out of you into your workplace, into your neighborhood, in the shopping center where you are, wherever you and I will be, that fountain should flow, leading people towards eternal life. Amen? Otherwise, you and I are pretty selfish, just wanting to go to heaven, and we don't care about other people. May the Lord help us. Every Christian across this world, there's a world outside. More than half of the world has never heard Jesus Christ. Millions and millions of people in my country, they've never heard the Lord Jesus Christ ever. What am I doing? Clapping my hands and singing three songs, jumping up and down and saying hallelujah? Nothing wrong with that. But what about the people outside? What about the people who are living in sin? And that's what he read when we started off this passage. Everyone who will call upon his name shall be saved. How will they call upon him whom they have never believed? How will they believe on him whom they have never heard? How will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach without being sent? And beautiful are the feet of you when you take the gospel, when you take that fountain and share it with all the other people and God will richly bless you and will fulfill God's call and God's purpose in our life. Sorry for sharing this thing, Pastor. Amen. I felt I should share that with you as I finish. That's good. Thank you, Pastor. You know, that is the greatest joy that any of us can find, serving God. There's no greater joy than serving God. Amen. Maybe you can close in prayer and pray for us. Amen. Shall we pray, please? Gracious Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to come and be with our dear people here on this Wednesday night. Thank you, Lord, for this time with Pastor Merle, sharing, answering questions, sharing my heart and my vision to the people here. God, I pray that you will stir every one of our hearts, that we will be people, soul winners, bringing eternal life into the life of others. I bless this church. 
I bless Pastor Dwayne and the leadership. I pray for everyone who attends this church, Lord. I pray your blessing will be upon them. Father, we glorify your name through our lives, Lord. Father, we remember the needs and the challenges in India. I remember my pastors, pastors' families who lost their husbands, their fathers. I pray for those starving families who have got nothing. Have mercy upon us, Lord. I pray that you'll stay in the hearts of the people here tonight, that they will rise up and reach out and be a partner to this ministry, that this church has been involved for many, many years. I pray your blessing will rest upon everyone. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen.